This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Decibel Geek Podcast where we're building a local music scene with a worldwide audience. I'm Chris Sinzak. He's Aaron Camaro, the one with the shredded voice this evening. How's it going, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's the Decibel Geek Podcast time and I'm ready to rock and roll. You guys didn't know, but Aaron's going through puberty right now. That's right. Like I said, I wish it was a video show. I'd show everybody this is a very important day for me. I'm, I'm finally becoming a man. <laughs> In reality, Aaron uh, was the master of ceremonies, as he usually is, for a, a very big deal of a local wrestling promotion last night. I know we're not a wrestling show, but I think most of our listeners will know who the main event was. You go ahead and share that with us. Well, we uh, it was a it was a huge event all the way around. Goldust was there, um, and of course, Brett the Hitman Hart. So many people turned out for it. There was over two thousand people at the Tennessee State Fairgrounds. Like you said, I was the host of the whole deal, so I'm out there <laughs> screaming my ass off on the microphone all night long, and this is the result of it, I guess. His glory years, you know, kind of run, you know, concurrently with the glory years of a lot of the stuff we cover. That's you know? true. That's yeah. true. You got to think about like the heyday of wrestling. Wrestling and music kind of go hand in hand together because it's like if you look at the changes in music. The changes in professional wrestling kind of follow suit like that, mm-hmm. but it's all like the form of entertainment. Yeah, you know? and, and we and as anyone that knows us knows that we're big Kiss fans, so we like characters. Although I wasn't a big fan of the Kiss wrestler. You know what? I liked <laughs> I liked the Kiss demon. That guy was pretty good. A guy named Dale Torborg. Yeah, good wrestler. Wasn't he? He's the son of the guy that used to manage the Chicago White Sox, I think. And he works for the White Sox, I believe. Does too. he? Yeah. Oh, okay. that AJ Pruszynski. He's a big wrestling guy. Is he's he? involved in in TNA wrestling quite a bit. The tits and ass wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's total nonstop. Total nonstop action. action. Yeah. 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 But what I do is crossfire, and we've got some big stuff coming up, so that's pretty cool. But fear not. <laughs> It shall not interfere with the Decibel Geek podcast. Yeah, I guess we need except to go for on. right now with my voice. Yeah. Well, talking about the glory days of the stuff that we uh, cover and the music that we cover, I think today's guest would certainly qualify for being basically right in the center of a lot of that stuff. Absolutely. You know, if if somebody came up and asked me and said, "What were your favorite TV shows of all time?" I would put the Headbangers Ball right up there. It's got to be at least in the top three. Yeah, I for sure, absolutely. Today's guest is Ricky Rackman, the guy that did the majority of the hosting on there. He replaced Adam Curry in 1990. Ricky Rackman was the guy that hosted the Headbangers Ball while it was cool. Yeah. Well, you know, Adam Curry had the look, but I never got the impression that he really dug a lot of the music he was spinning on that He show. didn't really... The same people that did his hair were the same people <laughs> that did poor Rob Fleischman's hair on that Vinnie Vincent cover. Yeah, for maybe the same person. Probably had to have been the same <laughs> hairstyle. Although Adam Curry, I'm not going to put you down. Adam Curry is one of the fathers of podcasting. So Yeah? Yeah, he's one of the first people to get into it. So my hat's off. So, But uh, Ricky was nice to come on. Before we get into the discussion with Ricky, I got a couple of things of business to take care of. Uh, this week's Geek of the Week, and this guy, it's been coming for a long time for him because he's been a supporter for of the Decibel Geek, Decibel Geek podcast for a while. It's a guy named Robert Foster in Utah, and uh, Robert has left loads of comments and joined in on the discussion on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Decibel Geek, 
always has good uh, comments and uh, you know comments on the shows. Gives us great feedback. He's a real fan of the show. Utah, the sexiest of all states. Yeah, he might be. I don't know if he's our lone Utah, Utah listener or not. I'll have to check the statistics. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Robert, congratulations! Your Monopoly money's on its way, and you get the prestige of being the Decibel Geeks Geek of the Week. This but week. only for a week, so you better brag while you can. Yeah, tell all your friends and family. And also, uh, welcome to all those of you that are checking us out, maybe possibly for the first time on Maximum Threshold Radio over at MaximumThreshold.net. If it's Friday night around 7 p.m. Eastern, you can hear us every week. Back to Ricky Rackman, our guest today. Uh, you know, if you don't know, Ricky Rackman hosted the Headbangers Ball from 90 to 95. And um, I, I got to do, have this discussion with him recently. And uh, he was very, very good in his answers. And, you know, he didn't shy away from anything I asked him. Um, before The first time I saw Ricky, though, was before his gig on the Headbangers Ball. Um, he was interviewed as the owner of the Cat House in L.A., a very big club uh, on the Sunset Strip here of the 80s with all the hair bands. He was interviewed for the Decline of Western Civilization Part Two movie. Great movie. And um, there's a big feature on there with the interview with Ricky and then also um, with co-owner and Ricky's friend and roommate, Tammy Down of Faster Pussycat. Love that band. Great band. And uh, they're still friends to this day. And in, in fact, I want to plug this while, you know, before we get into the conversation, you'll hear more about it. Um, Ricky is, uh, he's doing the, I think it's just really just for fun, but uh, he and Tammy Down are doing this thing that they call the Mexa Marada ride. And they, it's a motorcycle ride that they're doing. And they started there. I think as of, as of today, when we're recording this, they're in Washington state, but they started all the way down in Mexico and they're going all the way through the United States into Canada and then back. To nice. On motorcycles. And that sounds in, pretty sweet. They're in Washington state tonight. And last night they were in Washington state and they saw a uh, super sucker show. I saw the, update I love that Twitter. band, man. We should play them sometime. Absolutely. The They've got a million great tunes, but yeah, so he's, uh, he's doing that in his current gig now is he does a lot of NASCAR stuff. He's done wrestling stuff in the past. You know, yeah. we we're just talking about wrestling. Thank you, Ricky, for coming on the show. I hope you dig this episode and, uh, well, I guess we'll go ahead and get into it. This is Ricky Rackman. <laughs> write a radio show uh-huh. and i've got to do three shows by tomorrow at noon and it's just like it's brutal because i got to start doing a lot of stuff in advance wow and you wanted to it's not easy and you still wanted to come on with me i'm surprised <laughs> i appreciate that yeah i gotta take a break eventually <laughs> <laughs> all right well what, what can you share a little bit about what where the idea for this motorcycle ride came from um i've been are you are you recording this right now yeah i mean it records immediately oh. when i start doing okay, it. okay good um I've always been riding motorcycles. Um, I've I had a motorcycle before I had a car, and I've always ridden Harleys or Triumphs or whatever. So, um, Gilby always rode. Gilby Clark was always riding to Sturgis, you know, for from the longest time, and I used to get so jealous. Mm-hmm. And Stur- L.A. to Sturgis and back is about four thousand miles. Wow! So I started doing it, and uh, I've been riding to Sturgis for the past four years, and this year. My original goal was I was going to ride from Los Angeles to Indianapolis mm-hmm. for the NASCAR race, then go to the Corvette factory and go to Graceland and do all this stuff. But that would have ended up ta- and then go to Sturgis, and that would have ended up taking out a, well over a month. Yeah. So I can't do that. So what I decided to do is something that I call Mexa Morada. And Monday I'm going to ride to Rosarito, Mexico, and then I'm going to take the coast all the way from Mexico, all the way up California, Oregon, Washington, into Canada. 
mm-hmm. into Creston, Canada. I'm going to camp there and then go from Canada through Idaho, Montana, and go to Sturgis for about five days and ride back. It ends up being three countries and 11 states, and the only person that's doing the entire ride with me is Tammy Down. That is a trip. So he's a which is really which is really cool because you know Tammy and I had fallouts throughout the years and you know we used to be roommates and we opened the cat house together mm-hmm. and you know when he started riding motorcycles about two years ago you know we started hanging out and riding all the time and he rode with me to Sturgis last year and he's ridden to Mexico with me and so just him and I are going on this ride together on two separate bikes and uh, it's gonna I'm really I'm really excited it's gonna be a lot of fun. That's cool. I and I, being a non motorcycle person, I've honestly never even ridden one. I just, from the people I know that that ride them, it, there's just some sort of unspoken, uh, I guess, peace that you that you get out of uh, riding. Is that would you say that's true? Well, for me, there is. Um, I would say ninety eight percent of the people, especially that own Harley Davidsons. Mm-hmm. Don't ever go riding over 50 miles. They go to the <laughs> bar, and then they stop outside and look cool and, yeah. you know, play the Sons of Anarchy theme. But <laughs> I ride. I ride far. Um, I like riding. In, you know, I've ridden to Utah by myself. I've ridden to Arizona by myself, Vegas by myself. And there's something about riding that it's the only time when my mind is really like, you know, because I'm a stress case. I'm a nut. <laughs> and when I'm riding... I just, I really, truly relax, and especially to go through, you know, the coast and the Black Hills and Mount Rushmore and so much beautiful country that it's just the best. And you do not, when you're driving a car, it's like you're driving to get someplace, and when you're on a bike, the, the journey is way better than the destination, you know, right. it's just you enjoy going there. I can't wait to get on the road. The, you know, we wouldn't stop if we didn't have to, but we're going to. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, well, I want to go back a little bit. I know I on I was researching you, and obviously, it's actually it's a really I got to just say it's a trip talking to you because you are someone who oh, I you. grew up watching on television. So, and, well, thank you very much. Oh, and you were an influence on me wanting to do this podcast actually because like you know. Growing up and being like a 12-year-old watching you on Headbangers Ball, I was like, man. Okay, now you're making me feel really old. <laughs> you're not that much older than me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, really? Then how did you watch me when I was 12? Well, I well I was 12, but I mean, well, you you were pretty young when you got that gig, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> I was a lot older than 12. But people, it's like, it's funny because, uh, you know, people say, oh, yeah, dude, I grew up watching you. I, was, I remember watching you when I was a little kid, and then the conversation, you know, carries on. And they go, well, we're probably about the same age. I'm like, hey, you watched me when you were a kid, okay? <laughs> and I wasn't a kid then, so yeah. so please don't do the math, but okay. it, it's just funny. I mean, it's flattering. I like that people that said they grew up watching me but mm-hmm. also still think of me as a peer as opposed to being like, you know, Captain Kangaroo or Mr. Rogers, who is who I grew up watching. Right, and I guess it's also kind of the uh, the power of television and nowadays the power of YouTube, where you almost it's almost like you never age. You're forever the age you were when you were hosting that show. And, uh, Pretty much. I mean, I'm lucky because I'm healthy and I run and I exercise and I don't look as old as most of the people that are my age. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky because I never ever really had to do the stuff like grow up or get old. You know, I've I've been working you know, nonstop, but I still play and I still do the same stupid stuff that I did when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I just wake up much more sore now. Well, when you, you know, and a lot of the stuff I've read of you on interview from you on interviews was that you, uh, you've got a, a pretty diverse taste in music and you always have. Now, when you were, when you were growing up out in Van Nuys and back in the, in the seventies, what was, 
what were the main things that got you into rock? What made you fall in love with rock and roll? Who were the bands? I would say, well, the thing is, as a kid, I, I, I liked all types of music, and I liked roots rock and roll, like Elvis Presley and Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran. Mm-hmm. And that was because my dad was a manager, and he managed a band called Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids that used to play 50s music. Oh, okay. And uh, they were like, if you know Steel Panther, they were like the Steel Panther of 50s music. They would do a rude, crazy stage show, and they'd play 50s music, so I'd always grow up listening to that. Mm-hmm. But as far as rock and roll as a young age... I just thought that Alice Cooper was the coolest thing in the world, mm-hmm. and, you know, I still do. And then I really started getting into Nugent, and then as I started to turn about like 14 or 15, I got really into punk rock. And okay. so my teenage years were, like, you know, I've said before, I listened to a lot more Black Flag than Black Sabbath when I was a kid. I listened to punk, and, you know, it was... It was you know, and we're talking, you know, 20 years before Green Day. This is like old school punk rock. And this yeah. was my favorite. And at that time, you know, there were times when Guns N' Roses were playing shows. They were playing with Johnny Thunders and they were playing punk shows. You know, they weren't playing this typical, you know, rock stuff that, that we think they were. And in the early 80s, there was a great theme because there was like the Sunset Strip rock bands. And then there was this like Gypsy Junkie that were the people that were like into New York Dolls, and that's where your Guns N' Roses, L.A. Guns, Bastard Pussycat, all that came from, mm-hmm. was that scene, which was really a mixture of rock and roll and punk. Well, yeah, you mentioned Faster Pussycat, and you mentioned Tamey earlier. Well, you know, and I always got the impression from them that, yeah, I mean, they had some radio-friendly songs, but they also had kind of a good, you know, kind of a sleazy uh, punk-slash-glam sound to their, to their music, and... There was a. It's interesting you mentioned Guns N' Roses also because there's so many of those bands from that time that got everyone wanted to lump them together, and I, I never really understood that. And like especially Guns N' Roses being lumped in with hair bands because I think they're the last thing you would call, you know, a glam rock band. But I mean, you were there and, and you saw, witnessed it firsthand, and it was interesting reading about the Cat House in particular. You opened this club up and then. You've got, but you've got such a weird mix of people hanging out in that place. I mean, you've got Axel hanging out with David Bowie, and down the, you know, down the bar is James Hetfield. I mean, describe a little right. bit about what what the vibe was like, you know, in that place. Well, when I opened the Cat House, first of all, there was nobody that was doing a rock and roll dance club. The mm-hmm. whole purpose was to open up a dance club with a DJ that would play only rock and roll, and. You know, the idea wasn't to have bands, and everybody would hang out there. And pretty, and because we weren't the guys that were saying, hey, the hot chicks come to Cat House, <laughs> but they were. This is where all the strippers and all the mud wrestlers, after work, they'd all go to the Cat House because we weren't the place that would do that. So then because all these girls started going there, then all these rock stars started going there. And then because more rock stars were going there, more girls started going there. And it just got this reputation of being this real decadent place till, you know, you would see Aerosmith or Motley Crue or, you know, a, a, a fun story was Depeche Mode did a record release party mm-hmm. and the Sunset Strip was shut down and they started a riot. <laughs> and the guys from Depeche Mode came to the cat house and they walked in there and nobody cared. <laughs> nobody bugged you. I mean, the thing is, you don't see a lot of videos and you don't see a lot of photos from the cat house. Mm-hmm. because I didn't allow cameras in there. And that way, somebody could do, you could do whatever you wanted, whether you're, you know, 
Robert Plant or Malcolm Forbes, the millionaire. Anybody could do whatever they wanted at the cat house, and there wouldn't be any repercussions. You know, I never thought it would have made such an impact that, you know, 26 years later, I'm still talking about it. I'm still selling T-shirts. <laughs> right. So I didn't bother taking pictures or stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, we were the place that it didn't really matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were a scumbag, and it didn't matter if you, you know, were rich. If, if you drove the nice Lamborghini, don't think you're parking it in front and getting in front of everybody else because you're not. Right. And it's interesting that you you guys would go out of your way to sort of make it a home away from home for the for the celebrities that were there were there because nowadays you, you know hell it's the exact opposite nowadays with the the whole TMZ thing it's like everyone's out to get your photograph of getting you doing something stupid you know that wouldn't really oh, that God. probably wouldn't fly today at all would it yeah no I mean we would have been on that show every week <laughs> from the fest fist fight to the the OD to the sex to everything I mean it was it was just crazy and it it, it was just my, and what, what happened was, you know, the bands that would, that when we started letting bands play, the bands, I was very, very picky on who played the Cat House. They had to, they had to be, get approval from me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a point of, you know, the only band, this, this is kind of funny, the only band that ever paid me to play at the Cat House was the Black Crows. Really? Because they wanted to play a gig before they started playing their L.A. shows. And I listened to their tape, and I liked them. And their manager said, look, what if I give you 400 bucks? We'll put 100 people on the list. We'll put them on really early. And he also managed David Lee Roth at the time. And I told him, I'm like, hey, I'll let these, these, these black crows play the cat house because I like their music. But if I do, will you maybe hook me up with David Lee Roth, you know, playing here one night? Well, I'll see what I can do. Little did we know, you know, that the black crows played. They were awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and look what happened. And the same thing happened with Pearl Jam opening up for Alice in Chains. Yeah, that's you know, that's interesting because you met in. I think a lot of people when they think of the Cat House, they immediately just think of the Sunset Strip glam stuff. But you you guys hosted quite a quite a diverse range of groups and a lot of groups that broke just broke wide open right after that. Uh, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, Motorhead, Ice T, um, Megadeth, White Zombie. Um, I mentioned Pearl Jam, I, Guns N' Roses. I can't even tell you how many times they played, but it was like endless. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's times that people tell me bands that played there that I didn't even remember played there. Now, of those but, those those big ones that broke that you mentioned, honestly, were there any of them when you when they played at the time? You're like, these guys will never make it. I didn't think anybody would make it. To oh, really? <laughs> they made it. Yeah, right. I never thought. Well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you one band that I really thought would never make it. Um, they were friends of mine, so I let them play the Cat House, and I let them open up for a, a bunch of different bands. And at that time, they were called the Shrinky Dinks. Mm-hmm. And they were just real goofy, and the singer was a friend, and I was like, I'll let you play. And we all knew they would never end up to be anything. And they ended up changing their name to Sugar Ray. <laughs> really? <laughs> and went a little went a little poppier, and uh, obviously they did quite well. Yeah. And that was like the biggest surprise. No, I never. I'm like, Mark, you know, it was Mark McGrath. I'm like, Mark's never going to be a rock star. And... It was funny to see what happened. Were you thinking? But you were right about about certain bands. Like the thing is, you know, you'll never hear, you'll never read a Ricky Rackman interview where I ever say the word hair bands mm-hmm. because I hate that term. Because, yeah. I mean, first of all, there were so many different kind of mu- music. Was you know, L.A. Guns was not the same as Warrant. Exactly. You know, um, unfortunately, a band like Skid Row 
got lumped into that whole thing. And mm-hmm. Skid Row was a great rock and roll band, but because Baz was good looking yeah. and they opened up for Bon Jovi and they played all these shows, they got lumped into that like really poppy thing. And the singles were ballads that were getting released. But Skid Row was a great, great band. Yeah, as especially as Slave to the Grind will attest. You know, I mean, it's oh my god, it's, yeah, it's one of the top-notch records from that era. And now, Deep Thoughts with Tommy Lee. What color panties are you wearing? Listen to the Decibel Geek Podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Speaking of Guns N' Roses, then, you know, your friend Axel ends up getting you the audition for Headbangers Ball. Now, how does that come about? Were you guys watching the show and he said you'd be good at this? Or how did the, how did the thought of even auditioning that's come exa- about? That's almost exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch Headbangers. First of all, I never watched Headbangers Ball because it was Saturday night and I'd be out on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. But if somebody was on it, I'd watch it. So I remember Faster Pussycat was on Headbangers Ball, and this is way before I was even considered as a host. So I went home, because that time me and Tammy were roommates, and I remember Tammy saying on Headbangers Ball, yeah, man, I want to say hey to my roommate Ricky. He probably <laughs> digs hearing his name on TV. <laughs> I had no idea that I ended up being the host of that show. Yeah. So um, we were talking about it, and Axel mentioned, you know, Axel, I think his manager at the time, somebody was talking about it, and I was saying, that would be fun. And they're like, dude, you want me to make a call? And I'm like, well, yeah, that would be fun. I didn't have any goals of being on TV or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a blast. So, so Axe was like, hey, I got you an audition. I'm going to fly to New York with you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it was the first time I ever flew business class. Yeah. And we stayed up at the Mayflower Hotel. And when I went to the audition, <laughs> he walked in with me. And I will tell you right now, if people's like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, who you know, totally. If Axel <laughs> wasn't with me, they would have been fools to give me that job because I had no experience in TV mm-hmm. and uh, my audition tape was terrible and what happened is I started becoming more and more comfortable being on TV mm-hmm. and I started my biggest problem is that when I hang out with people I'm a person as you can tell by this interview I like to talk a lot that's good and in my <laughs> interviews I never sat there with a card with questions I engaged in conversation, and sometimes I talk too much. I mean, I know I was criticized for that in some of the interviews, mm-hmm. and it's 100% fact. I admit it because I love to sit and talk, and then I get going. So, you know, the interviews – the problem is that the interviews didn't get to go always the way I wanted. They were very strict on what I did. Yeah. And, and like, you know, they never, I never picked a song on MTV either. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, uh, of course, that you got a, a horribly bad rap back in the day going, well, mm-hmm. R- Ricky's deciding to do this or he doesn't want this band to get played. And and I and he, at the time, you know, at the time when you're a kid thinking that, you know, well, you're thinking, why did he pick that? And then but not knowing that in hindsight, you, you've got producers to this day, you've got, this pro- day. You've got producers in your ear going, no, you're not going to say that. No. There's only one thing that I did on that I picked on Headbangers Ball and I came up with the triple thrash threat. The, the three metal songs in a row and the name and everything, I came up with that. Oh. But when they're playing bands like Firehouse on Headbangers Ball, I don't know if we played Firehouse, but you know, bands like Slaughter on Headbangers Ball, mm-hmm. you know, people are saying, fucking Ricky says he likes, you know, Slayer and he's playing Slaughter. Right. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is my job. Well, if it was my job, I would tell them to not play. I'm like, are you out of your mind? I'm flying to New York every 10 days. I'm making money, mm-hmm. you know. I never said I liked a band that I didn't like. Right. But when there was a band that I really liked, I would go off on them. So then it also started looking like Ricky likes every band. Right. But right, I only right. liked the bands that I said I liked because there were there were bands that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I liked about Headbangers Ball that that they did do was like, of course, you were going to get flack because of this. But I liked that you would hear, you would see a slaughter video, and then you would see a DRI video. You know, because I, I the mean, the thing is, if if I did program the show, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be just. I mean, I like, I tend to like the heavier stuff. Right. I always have, or the kind of new. I like the heavy stuff, or like the New York Dollsish type of stuff. Sure. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't play the bands like the, you know, Bang Tangos or mm-hmm. stuff like that. I they would because. What Headbangers Ball needed to be was the place that played the rock videos that you're not seeing anywhere else. Right. And, and you, that's all different genres. It can't cater to just one type of rock and roll because there's so many different kinds. Well, and it's a losing battle with rock and roll fans, as I've learned with my show, because, I mean, I'll play something by Pantera one week, and then the next week I'll play, you know, Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And. But then, uh, you're, you're, without fail, you're going to hear somebody go, "Why are you playing those posers?" or "Why are you playing those rednecks?" You know, and it's just like, because ro- I guess rock fans are almost more boisterous about what they like and what you should do. It's I don't know. I guess it's more of a mob. No, mentality. not almost, without a doubt. <laughs> rock fans are the most passionate, and you got to love that because you know. But the thing is, what you have to understand is, we need to play all these type of music because if it was just a metal thrash show. It wouldn't have got the ratings it would have. Well, so look it, look, instead look. of saying, cool, they're playing Sepultura mm-hmm. and they're playing freaking Napalm Death and they're playing all this, you know, five really cool videos. Instead, it's like, you know, why do you play those two crappy videos? Right. Because there's also people that say, why do you play the heavy stuff? We want more, you know, pretty boy bands or whatever. Right. Well, I mean, to me, it was an education because I, I got to learn, you know, about a whole broad range of groups. So I enjoyed the fact that it was varied because, you know, you know, later on when they relaunched it, it was pretty much nothing but like thrash bands. And it's just like, well, shit, I, I, I don't want to listen Jamie to Jamie is a, I really like Jamie Josta a lot. Yeah. But the thing that lacked in the Headbangers Ball is it wasn't as fun anymore. And the reason is because Jamie Josta sings in hate breed. Right. And you can't throw a pie in the singer of Hatebreed's face. <laughs> yeah. And you can't goof around and make the singer of Hatebreed look like a clown because he's Jamie Johnson. That's that's not him, even though he's a he's a great guy. Yeah. But you can't. You know, I did not mind being the butt end of the joke. 
I knew there were people that didn't like me, but that's okay. Right. That's okay. You know, it, it, it's better for people to not like you than not know who you are. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, so, it, yeah, and you, you certainly were the target of lots of things thrown your way <laughs> during that. Still issue. am. Oh, are you? Well, mm-hmm. I was, I'm referring to more like cupcakes and pies and water, you know, water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that stuff was always set up by friends. I mean, you know, I, Fred Corey, the drummer of Cinderella, I always called him Cupcake because he's just, he's such a sweet guy, you know, he's just a nut. Fred's a, just a nice, nice guy, so I've always called him Cupcake. So when you're on my birthday, he had people, when, 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 as soon as he called in on my birthday, they pelted me with Cupcakes. But what they had done is they had kept the cupcakes in the freezer all day long. So it was almost like they were just pelting me with croquet balls. Jeez. It was just like, it was brutal. Do people really give you a hard time for that? Everybody that, there's big old, there's big old, did you just get pelted? You know something? Not only did I just get hit with cupcakes. <laughs> right on! But you know what? When you hit me with cupcakes, can you hit me with softer cupcakes? Yeah, and uh, well, speaking from my own perspective, I'm which I know you and I've read you stu- in interviews. You, you know, you went in, got into like Nugent and that stuff, and then you went over to the punk side. I I like some of that stuff, and I appreciate it later. I'm I'm a big Kiss nerd, and that's a that's my band for sure. And it was funny because you mentioned you're into the harder stuff, and at the time, like around '90, actually, I think it was your first year hosting the show. I'll never forget watching the episode where you guys went to Lubbock, Texas, and and interviewed Kiss on the Hot in the Shade stage during the rehearsal. Oh yeah, I remember that too. And I was, and at the time, I'm thinking, oh man, Ricky must just be in heaven right now. He's interviewing Kiss in Lubbock, Texas. And then now I think back to what your real influences are. And now I'm like, man, Ricky had to interview Kiss in Lubbock, Texas. No, 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 no. <laughs> like I remember, like the second show I did, uh-huh. they they sent me to Donington and I had to interview Aerosmith. Yeah. And I was freaking, I mean, Aerosmith are just icons. Yeah. I was so nervous to interview Aerosmith, you know? And when you're interviewing a band like Kiss, you know, whether I was listening to certain type of music, I still liked some Kiss songs. And right. I still, I, I understand how they were, what they did and what they continue to do. Right. So, you know, an iconic band is an iconic band, whether I like them or not. And I do like Kiss, so it's not like I didn't like them. Oh, okay. I just didn't know if you were ever really a fan of them. No, 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 no. I mean, for the music that we played on Headbangers Ball, I would say that I liked a good 80% of it. Oh, okay. Some of the stuff I didn't like, it seemed kind of fake. But then there's also bands that I never liked that I find myself listening to now that I was just like, wow, this record was really good. Yeah, they got overlooked at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. well, I was gonna I was gonna mention I was gonna give you props because I remember a clip of watching you around with Kiss. You were interviewing Paul and Gene around ninety three, ninety four, I think, and uh, you started busting on them, you know, trying to get them to talk about doing a reunion. Yes. <laughs> and I remember with makeup. I, yeah, with makeup. And I and I and I said one time for pay per view, just do it one time. Yeah, and and I just remember the look on Gene's face, and then Gene looks over at you and goes, "Oh, with Battery Club opening, right?" <laughs> <laughs> that, but because uh, I was in a band called Battery yeah. Club, and we ended up getting to play this big seminar, rock and roll seminar, and we actually played before Kiss. And we were nothing like Kiss, but that, that was, I didn't even remember that. That was funny. Yeah, that's There's stuck also in my times, like, just like when I remember how furious Glenn Danzig would get at me when I'd say, let's just do a Misfits reunion. And sure enough, they <laughs> did a reunion. He would just never bring that up. It'll never happen. And sure enough, they did a Misfits reunion not that long ago, you know? Right. So it's just, it's just funny the things that people get mad and they'll never do, but they sure enough did. 
Want to be a member of the Decibel Geek Army? You slimy scumbag, get on your face and give me 25. Join us on our fan page at facebook.com slash decibelgeek. Contemplating the mysteries of the universe? Like, what were Metallica and Lou Reed smoking? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Holmes' Vodka Bottle, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. My, from my perspective and my co-host who couldn't be here tonight, the, the uh, you know, we grew up watching this stuff, and it was like, you know, everybody that was old enough to go out to clubs was on Saturday night, but this was like as close as we could get to being a part of that. And I remember certain, there were certain episodes I'll, I'll never forget, though, like, well, it, you came in at an interesting time because when Adam Curry was hosting it, it was, I mean, really, it was it was the glam rock type thing was was just huge, and this was before grunge, grunge was starting to really hit right when you s- stepped in. Now, what was your opinion on that stuff coming in? Where you, did you think, wow, you know, we're in trouble? Or with your varied taste, were you did you welcome the change? See, I am that one person that always says that Nirvana did not kill the rock scene mm-hmm. because when I heard Nirvana. I heard a really cool rock band. And Allison Chains belonged on Headbangers Ball. And Nirvana, until they got big, belonged on Headbangers Ball. And so did, you know, Soundgarden. Are you going to say, oh, well, you shouldn't have played Soundgarden? Look, Soundgarden came from that, quote, grunge scene. But Soundgarden was Black Sabbath, if anything. That's what Soundgarden was. So, you know, the whole grunge thing, you know, it was just another type of rock and roll. It didn't kill anything. If your music was so weak, that you're not gonna that, that, that you can't last because another band is doing something different, then that's your fault, you know. Yeah. But I, I welcomed it all because I thought it was just another type of rock and roll, and I and I love I still like Nirvana. Right, not the not the greatest interview though, right? Worst interview. That was that was <laughs> just a that's the that's the one the top three things that people always mention is that Nirvana. Well, I've, I've been good. waiting 20 years to tell you that I, I really felt for you when I watched it that I night. I was so <laughs> bummed out because I was all excited to meet Kurt Cobain, and I show up, and he's like face down in the green room, and I'm like, I wanted to meet him and tell him how much I really liked the album Bleach, and I yeah. was... And he was just passed out, and I, then I didn't see him until he was on the stage. Well, how's it going? I mean, it's got to be, first of all, love the suit. Be very comfortable on planes, I think. Um, planes. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a bar. It's Headbangers Ball, so I thought I'd wear a gown. Dress for the ball. There you go. He wouldn't wear his tux. He didn't give me a corsage either. The whole ball gown. I didn't even get Headbangers Ball ball gown. Right. And he was just so out of it, just so wasted. So I was like, at that point, I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just pissed off. I'm not going to be all hoppity boppity. I'm pissed off, and I'm. It, it was just like, I was just. I was. It was like pulling teeth going through that interview. Well, I guess I mean that was the thing with the grunge guys was like you know a lot of those bands in interviews would be just so sullen and I, I always kind of want. Let me ask you because you interviewed most of these guys. Were there any of these bands and you don't even have to name them? But when you interviewed them, they were sullen, soft spoken, think act like they hate yeah. everything. And then the minute the cameras go off, they're like, "Hey, how's it going, man?" No, because this is the thing. You say that, but what is the most popular episode of Headbangers Ball ever. What do you think is the episode that was talked about more than any episode that people always say was their favorite episode? It would be Alice in Chains yeah, at the, the water, water park. park. Yeah, yeah. That was the that is the that was the best show ever. And Alice in Chains, which were lumped into that grunge category, 
they got Headbangers Ball better than any band did. Because at the water park, it was freaking hilarious. And then when we did a thing at some mansion, they all were in like robes and turbans and smoking cigars and acting like, you know, like talking funny. And then I remember having fun with Lane Staley in New Orleans. I mean, you know, that's a band that you would think their music would really be, you know, that really toned down. Oh. But in fact, they were the, one of the funniest bands that we ever worked with ever on Headbangers Ball as being upbeat. If anything, it was the, the, the real heavy kind of death metal bands that wouldn't have fun. Right. You know, Slayer would always have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, Megadeth, eh, you never know. Right. But, um, but it, it really wasn't those type of bands. And, you know, if you act like that with me, then I'm bored and I just want to get through the interview. I don't care who you are. You right. know? It's like, have, we're playing rock and roll. Have fun. Yeah, it's not, yeah, you, as George Bush would say, it's not rocket surgery, right? Exactly. <laughs> Well, one of, one of my favorite episodes you mentioned, Megadeth, was the skydiving episode. Now, yeah, that was great. Um, what ha- actually happened is I ended up going skydiving like about two or three times with Dave before we shot it. <laughs> so my first time jumping out of a plane wasn't me attached to some guy. So I ended up going, and after that one, I ended up getting well over 40 jumps and kept on skydiving for a long time and really, really got into it. Wow. That's, well, that's so cool. it, it was That was really cool. Now, was was there any, like, who who did you interview on the show that you uh, that surprised you? Is there anyone you thought this is just gonna this is gonna be horrible, and then you wound up just loving the interview you, that you got? I don't remember. Don't I don't. Remember. I, my my problem is, I mean, the reason there isn't a book is because I don't remember anything. Right. I can't remember. I mean, you know, if if somebody acts like a jerk, then I just put it out there. And if there was somebody that I had fun with, I always had fun with Pantera. Uh-huh. Pantera yeah. was always fun. Anthrax was always fun, and just great guys, you know. Right. Do you stay in touch with any of those bands from that era? Nope. No. Um, the only people that I talk to in bands, I still talk to Tammy. Mm-hmm. I still talk to Gilby Clark. Um, I run into Slash and Death occasionally. Um, the only person, I mean, the only musician I really, uh, Mark Morton of Lamb of God, mm-hmm. I speak with all the time. He's you know, he's probably one of my best friends. He's just a great, great guy, and I'm always in contact with Mark Morton. Um, I talked to Fred Corey from Cinderella once in a while. Um, when me and Carrie King were neighbors, you know, we'd hang out a little bit, and Carrie's a great guy. But there's not really that. I mean, to be honest, I don't like people in bands uh-huh. because I like just I like people, just regular people. Right. And usually the people that are in bands that I hang out with now are people that were my friends before they were in bands. You know what I mean? There's certain people that I'll run into, like, you know, I'll run into Ricky Rocket or Brett. Mm-hmm. And those guys are just great, great guys. Mm-hmm. And they're really nice. So whenever I see them, I love talking to those guys. Oh, and, you know, I, it's neat because now when I do do things, I hosted the Rock of Ages premiere. So I got to see Def Leppard and I got to see all those guys. And it's really fun to meet people like that. I mean, that band I had interviewed before. But for me to see certain band members that are like, hey, Ricky, and I'm like, wow, that guy knows who I am, you know? Because oh, I'm i not a musician, I'm a, and I'm not a freaking journalist. I'm a rock fan. Well, so when I get to meet people and meet bands that I really like, you know, I just, I just think, oh, my God. And okay, and the one band that I haven't mentioned at all that I liked before I ever did Headbangers Ball and still like to this day mm-hmm. is Motorhead. I will always go see Motorhead. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> Let me just, as a, he's just, he's a great yeah. individual. 
Yeah, I, I watched the documentary a couple of weeks ago. It's just it's an amazing mm-hmm. it's amazing look at, at his life for sure. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, someone definitely someone who I, I've always wanted to meet. But um, now Lemmy is, Lemmy is a great interview. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean he does, he does not hold back. He definitely says what's on his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was gonna mention well, and then Headbangers Ball just out of nowhere just gets canceled in January '95, and from what I've read. All, you basically just got a phone call that said, don't come to work. That's exactly what happened. I was pissed. Uh, I, I wanted to do my goodbye show so bad, you know. That, but they wouldn't even let me do a goodbye show. It's strange how I sudden mean, that, it was. I mean, it was just, you know, that sh- we were on for five years. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I don't do I mean, I do a lot of stuff with VH1. You know, I did all the, 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 the reality shows, and I do stuff with VH1 all the time. I never did it. I don't do anything with MTV. And that really bummed me out. You yeah, know? and I even said I go, hey, let's just do a Headbangers Ball special. You don't even have to pay me. Let's just do it for fun. Right. Nothing. Did they say why it just abruptly ended so quickly? No. Nope. And wouldn't nope. man, that's just it's crazy. It's just, they put on some other stupid show and it just it it failed. If I if you could time travel back to night to the nineties and someone told you what the programming would be on MTV now, what do you think your reaction would have been? I would have said it's music television. Yep. We play, they play music, right? <laughs> I mean, and then I remember even saying, hey, well, at least we got VH1 playing music. Right. And, and they don't, don't even play music. And VH1 was almost out mock. And I'll tell you that sometimes if I'm in the gym or something, and I'll say, okay, let me put on, you know, VH1 for when they're doing Quick Start and just hear who some of the bands are mm-hmm. that people are listening to. And I don't want to sound like the grumpy old man, but I'll tell you right now, the music out today that people are listening to is freaking garbage. I agree. It is so horrible. I mean, that's why I like, I like a lot of country bands now. You know, so the, the whole outlaw country thing I really like a lot. Mm-hmm. Because it's something that's kind of, at least they're, they're doing something that I haven't heard. Right. You know, I think this whole auto-tune thing and these machines and, I mean, even the hip-hop artists, they, they don't rat, rhyme anymore, no, you know? they don't even I mean, it's, it's, it's just It's just horrible. I hate, I hate music today. There's very, very few bands that I like. Right. Very few. Well, and you, you mentioned liking country, and then I, I've done research, and I saw you, you wound up doing stuff with WCW, and you've done stuff for NASCAR. Now, you and me need to trade places because I don't like country, <laughs> I don't like wrestling, and I don't like NASCAR, yet I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're in L.A. So we need to switch And houses. you know what? NASCAR, <laughs> I've always had a passion for. Oh, really? And one day in 1994, I was walking at the Daytona. This is where I was still on Headbangers, Paul. And I was walking down the front stretch of Daytona International Speedway, and I said, I'm going to find a way to make a living in NASCAR. And I've made a good living with 90% of my income NASCAR-related for just about 10 years. Wow. And I could not be happier. And, I, you know, I know I interview every driver. I get, I get to go to the races. I, I just have fun, and I love NASCAR. And there's a lot of rockers that are really into NASCAR, too. And now there's a lot of drivers that are really getting into some good music. You know, Paul Menard really loves you know metal bands and stuff like that so it, it's it's a blast well i yeah because I, I i was reading this and i was like well geez he needs to move to the south then you know <laughs> so yeah, I'm the, i am without a doubt the biggest redneck from hollywood <laughs> i mean i live seriously about a mile and a half from the sunset strip and i my house is covered in nascar memorabilia and you know it, it's crazy. I'm basically a redneck from Hollywood and always have been. <laughs> You're my West Coast white trash connection now. <laughs> without a doubt. Without a doubt. 
Oh man. Well, so so basically, the the NASCAR thing is basically your main gig at this point, right? Yeah, that is my main gig. I mean, I have a NASCAR radio show. It's on 100 stations. It's about to celebrate its 10th anniversary in April. And uh, you know, there was there's been talk here and there, different TV shows, but you know, the the problem is unless you're screaming and yelling and fighting or being an idiot, nobody wants wants it, and I'm not going to do that stuff. Right. So right now, you know, I have a couple other things that are in the works, and we'll just see, you know. But I'm having fun, and right now I'm just can't wait to get riding because for three weeks all I'm going to think about is riding. And I'm a, I'm hosting a night in um, I'm hosting two nights at the Sturgis Saloon. I mean, this is great because Sturgis Saloon. One night they've got Faster Pussycat, <laughs> then the other night they have Gilby Clark, Reverend Horton Heat, and the Super Suckers, wow. which is just like those are all the bands I love, and I'm the MC. So and it's at Sturgis, so. You know, Sturgis is going to be really, really fun this year. Well, I'm gonna. I appreciate your time. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to go ahead and cut this off now because I don't. I don't want to take up too much of your time, and I know you got a lot on your plate. But um, it's 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 an honor to talk to you, and you know. It's, well, thank you very much. It's it's very cool. And where where can people uh, check out all your stuff and follow you on your ride? Um, the best place would probably be through my Twitter account, and I'm gonna try to set up a website, like for the ride. But in the meantime, just follow my Twitter account. And that'll have different links to all the different stuff. And we'll be posting videos, and we're actually going to have it so you can follow where we are in real time. Like, let's say if you live in, you know, Portland, Oregon, and then you're like, and then you're looking at us and like, oh my God, they're like an hour from Portland, Oregon. Let's go meet. Let's go meet them there. And I'm going to be bringing boxes of Chico sticks with me and <laughs> handing out Chico sticks to people along the way. <laughs> Big fan of Chico sticks. <laughs> Huge. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love that. It's a good. It's my favorite candy. Really? And people can't find it. When I start talking about it, people thought it was really cool. So I got a couple boxes, and I'm going to go there. And like, if I see you, and they're like, "Hey, Ricky, you know, we follow you on Twitter. Hey." Can I have a Chico stick? <laughs> you may have a spokesman deal in the works. What was that? I said you may have a spokesman gig in the works then. Hey, hey, you know what? <laughs> There's different things that I have done for companies where I have been a spokesperson for things. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I wanted to do it with Chico stick is if I said I was somewhere passing out M&Ms to people, yeah. people would figure this is a paying gig. Right. But this is just like a fun candy you can't find anywhere. And, uh, and I like it. So I thought that it would just be really, really fun. And, and, you know, if you see us on the road and you want to buy us dinner, buy us dinner. If you want Ricky and Tammy to spend the night at your house, give us a place to stay. We'll stay there. <laughs> you know, we're bringing tents and sleeping bags. We really don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you just know it'll be fun, right? I just know it's going to be fun. It's going to be a little bit under 5,000 miles and three countries, 11 states. And, awesome. and we start in Rosarito, Mexico. So if we get out of Mexico, okay, <laughs> then we know everything from there is going to be easy. Very cool. Well, if you ever do another one and you wind up going through Nashville, let me know and we'll hook up. Well, eventually I will. Eventually I'll do the, the uh, coast to coast. All right. Well, we look forward to having you. And definitely thanks again for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Man, Chris, I'm sure glad you got that one covered. I don't think I could have spoke that long tonight. <laughs> it was a uh, it was a it was a pleasure getting to talk to Ricky Rackman because as you'll as you'll hear in the interview, 
I, you know, I kind of, I, you know, I'm a fanboy of this kind of stuff. This is the well, stuff sure. I grew. This is why we do the show. You know, that's why it's called Decibel Geek. Yeah, I mean, we're not. No one's going to confuse us with 60 Minutes. We're not doing gotcha journalism. <laughs> but you know, it's like we find people that we we looked up to, or we, you know, that we dug back in the day, and you know, we find out what they're up to now, and you know, what their thought process was. And yeah, uh, Ricky Rackman's a perfect example of that. I mean, yeah. So when I was a kid, you know, we lived on the outskirts of town. Back then, you know, we didn't have cable, so yeah. you'd only get the four or five three or four local channels mm-hmm. so i would beg my parents to be able to spend the night in town at my friend's house just so we could watch the ball and you know no matter what yeah. was going on on right. a saturday night at that time mm-hmm. you know whatever we could be hanging out with girls or whatever boom we gotta go because we gotta watch the ball never missed it yeah because during those years you know we at least at my age i couldn't go to clubs you know right I, this is this was as close as you could get to that lifestyle that's right so, but those were great stories, great memories about, you know, he didn't shy away from anything. He told us, you know, his thoughts on MTV, on the, the whole Nirvana interview thing, you know, skydiving with Megadeth. You know, I think it was a great interview, and I, I'm really appreciative of him coming on the show. We'll have to get him back on sometime because I got a feeling he's got a million more stories he could tell. Oh, yeah, we could have gone longer, but he's, in, you know, he's in the process of preparing for this trip that he's on now. And that trip is the Mexamorada trip with Tammy Down a Faster Pussycat. Um, as of the date of this recording, they're in Washington State, heading into Canada, and then they'll be heading on the way back. You can actually track them at. Uh, you can follow him at Ricky Rackman on Twitter, and that's the best place to go. He's also on Facebook, and then they have a live tracking thing, and I'll include the link in the show notes, and you can actually see all the stops that they make. So cool. you know, very cool thing. Must be nice to be able to go all over. Yeah, all no over kidding. Motorcycles. So uh, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but I mean, it'd be that'd be a pretty cool trip to go on. It I think. would be pretty cool. So yeah, um, let's plug the website and the uh, Facebook page real quick one more time before we head out. www.dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. And of course, we're on Facebook. That's a great place to get involved in the discussion. You know, you can check us out there. Uh, just look up. You know, just type in Decibel Geek. Facebook.com/slash Decibel It'll bring it up. I think most people. We'll just go in and type in decibel. Yeah, that'll right? work too. You know, that works. Take you right to it. We've got all kinds of cool stuff going on. What we've got coming up next week is a special treat because you guys have wanted one of these for a long yeah. time. <laughs> and uh, we haven't done it in a while. And we'll have to see how my voice is holding up. I mean, we're going to do it next week. We're going to go back in time. Yeah, we're going. We're going to. We're not going to tell you what year. DeLorean. We're not going to tell you what year just yet, but not we're going yet. back in time once again for. But a, if, I'll give you a small clue, and this is only for those of you that have really paid attention to the stuff I to the crap that I've blathered through the whole show. I'll just say we're going back to a time that I first got into Kiss. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. And so if you've paid attention, you already know what year. You know what year it is. All right, I know what time it is. Time to wrap it up for the week. You know, I hate to go, but it's time. See you next week. You guys have a good one. We'll see you next week. Remember to check us out at dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 